Welcome. It's great to have you all here. You know, we're being able to do more and more uh, from our home lately. Do you think we'll ever go back to how things were? Well, you know, I, I can just imagine a day, you know, not very long from now where you'll get on the flight and hear the uh, pilot come on uh, to the speaker. This is your captain speaking. We're cruising at about 30,000 feet. I'm working from home today. <laughs> Seems like you'd want to maybe know that beforehand, but <laughs> we're going to turn the time over to someone who joined us on site today. It's Dr. John, who's also a pilot with the Technology Spotlight. Have you ever heard of something called 3D printing? I'll bet some of you smart people have. But have any of you heard of 5D printing? Ah, see, we're going to talk about 5D printing, but first we better start with three, you know, that level three, and then we'll get up to 5D in a minute. 3D printing is amazing, and it's amazing because you can get this little printer and make anything. You can print whatever you want. So I got my first 3D printer just a little while back, and now what do I print? I could print anything. I don't know what to print. And it, that, that's what happens when you get a 3D printer. You get this itch to print something, but you don't know what to print. <laughs> you know, if someone would just break something or something, then we could have something to print, you know? And uh, so finally, I decided to print this. Check it out. This is a carbon nanotube, except it's not made out of carbon and it's not nano. <laughs> but it is a tube, right? <laughs> so, uh, I love how amazing carbon nanotubes are. They're teensy-tiny, so you can't see them. But they have this structure, and they can be really strong. And uh, compared to their size, they would be super, 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 super long if they were this big. And uh, so this was a really cool thing to print. And I love showing it to people and show this is the structure of a carbon nanotube. I want to show you a little bit how I went from this to actually getting something printed out. Because the printer actually has to draw a picture, kind of like a printer does on the paper, you know. But it has to draw the picture, and then it draws on top of that, and it draws on top of that. So that means that this whole structure had to be broken down into slices. In fact, when they're getting something ready to print, they call it slicing. And they slice the model, and then they have the file they can send to the computer. And remember, the printer I'm talking about prints with plastic, like this. This is PLA, and it looks like wire. looks like a roll of wire, but really, it's plastic that feeds into the 3D printer, and it draws the picture over and over again and makes the layers. So watch this video from the slicer showing the layers that are printed. So here we go. You can see how each layer adds a little bit more to the picture, and it just grows. And it takes a while for the 3D printer to put all those layers on. Well, there's one catch. This isn't exactly what mine looked like when I printed it. Uh, I'm going to show you another video that looks almost exactly look what, like what mine looked like. Now, wait a minute. See all that green? That's the supports. Those are the pieces that were added to make it so the material wouldn't fall down or bend over while it was printing. And it took a lot more plastic. Can you imagine this being all the way filled in like that? I had to use a tool and break out every hole. It took almost as long as it did to print. <laughs> it's like, I should have just, just bought one. You know? <laughs> but, but we did get through it. it. But the point is that uh, those supports take up a lot of extra plastic, and it makes the print take longer. It'd be really cool if there was a way to not need that. And that's where we're coming to the 5D printing. Uh, but first, I have another interesting question. Let's see if you can figure this out. If we wanted to print something hollow so we'd use less plastic, how could we do that and not have this same problem without the supports? Turns out that you need some type of support, and they've done a lot of research to figure out how to do it the most efficient way. One way is to have walls that 
crisscross and uh, different patterns and things, and they've done stress tests where they see how hard it is to break, and they finally came up with this gyroid shape that uses way less plastic and is surprisingly strong. And uh, I just wanted to show you this pattern. And so throughout a solid object, you can fill it up with this gyroid shape and use way less plastic inside. But now, about the supports. Some researchers at uh, Penn State were working on this, and there's some new technology called 5D printing, where we have, a, remember, 3D is because it has the axis this way, this way, and then up and down. So it's three dimensions, right? Well, 5D printing, there aren't really five dimensions that we can see and interact with, are there? So what they mean by five is the bed that the piece sits on tips two ways, too. So you have five axes that you can adjust. And with that, you can print something like this, and then you can turn it and print some more without any supports, and you can get really complex shapes and not have to have any support pl plastic. Well, these researchers developed an algorithm that'll automatically figure out when to tilt the bed and print with this 5D printing. Uh, here's an example. If you look up in the corner, that green pipe, it's a really weird shape that would probably need supports on a normal 3D printer. And you can see how each time they change the color is when they were tipping the bed dif a different way. And so by tipping the bed, they can print everything without any additional supports. And this is a way that uh, we could use way less plastic. And uh, here's another example. This is a bunny rabbit that was printed with supports. Looks kind of strange, doesn't it? So after it's done printing, you have to go and break all those off. Sometimes it leaves little mess ups and things. But if you don't have that, then you can get what I call a rat's nest. It's where the wire kind of goes all crazy and you don't want that. That was one of my first prints too, but <laughs> we're not gonna go there. <laughs> so um, if you can imagine that slicer slicing the program up into pictures that it's gonna print, but then also taking into account when the bed's gonna tip. So now let's look at the bunny in that perspective. You can see the different colors are when it tipped the print different ways. And they were able to print it by tipping the bed uh, four times. So um, this has the potential to make it so we use way less media when we're printing. And you know, it's not such a big deal when I'm doing my carbon nanotube. Of course, I would have really liked it. But if you can imagine printing 100 carbon nanotubes or whatever else you want to print, it turns out to be a lot of plastic. And what if you're printing with metal? Some metal printers have to print supports like that, and they waste a lot of material and a lot of time. So this technology to automate the five dimensions, the five axis printing, could make a really big difference on how long prints take and how good they come out at the end. And I'm really excited to see what you decide to 3D print. That's all the tech we have the time for. <laughs>
And then when it's time to goodbye, you just goodbye. <laughs> yeah, you goodbye. Okay. I feel a little bit awkward doing that, so we're going to have to work on that. <clears throat> but the next step is I'm going to get it caught on, okay? So I got to get people doing it because it's, it doesn't matter if you invent something and nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody uses it. Well, it turns out in technology, it's kind of the same challenge. Even if you get something really awesome, how do you get people to use it? How do you get businesses to use it? So tonight we're talking about the USB connector. Let's see, there's the British bee, there's the USB. No, not, not like a, a honeybee. Um, but we all know what the USB looks like. Here's a picture of it. Okay, it's very familiar, I would guess, to everybody here. And we need to step back into prehistoric times. Long ago, when connectors looked like this. Okay? You read about it in books sometimes, okay? Well, there were so many different kinds of ways to connect devices to these computers. You know, we're getting into computer era. We have computers, and we have amazing things computers can do. Hey, I can print something. I got to get a printer, though. And then I got to have a connector for that printer. I got to have, I got a mouse. I can see the, look at the dot on the screen. Whoa, I can move the dot. I got to have a wire and a connector to plug that wire in to the computer. I got to have a keyboard. I got to have, eventually they would have little digital camera systems. Needs a connector. All of these different things start needing ways to connect to the computer. Well, it starts to get messier and messier where, okay, I, I, oh, I got this new printer, but my computer doesn't have the right port. Or you have this device and it only works on certain things. Or you have issues where, okay, I got to plug it in, but you need to power down the computer before you can plug it in because the computer's picky. Okay, and it, eventually a bunch of the big names in the computer industry got together. This was in the mid-90s, and we're talking about people like Microsoft, Compaq, which some of you don't really know about, um, Intel, seven big computer industry companies got together, and they basically acknowledged, we've got a problem. Okay, thank you. Uh, that was pretty much what, what they really decided and agreed on was there's an issue here, and they didn't know what the solution was. So different businesses started putting people on projects. How can we solve this? There's a growing problem where we have all these new devices for computers, and every computer manufacturer has their own version of connectors and every new product. It's just we need to get in sync somehow. Well, we're going to talk about a gentleman named Ajay Bhatt, and he was working at Intel. And he decided to take on this challenge of we need to have a new solution that fixes this. And as he was looking for inspiration, he said that he noticed the wall plug. And he realized that's the key, wall plugs. Yeah, if you think about when you get something to plug in, you don't think, oh, well, does this, is this compatible with the plugs in my room? It, pretty much everywhere, wall plugs are the same. And so we, we've just learned that in the business, if you're going to get a new vacuum, you know there's going to be a power plug on the end, and it goes into this standardized wall plug. And he realized that's what we need in the computer industry. We need one port to rule them all. And so he started to work on it. And as he started to imagine what this would be, he made two important lists. Lists of things that were bad, that this, this solution needed to fix, and lists of things that were good, that were not in the common industry, and that this new product needed to have. So for example, um, first of all, he set up what he called basically a master-servant system where the computer was going to be the master and then this connector would be the servant. And he set it up to where this connector would be able to upload and download from the computer at the same time. And that was a big deal at the time. It couldn't, you know, if, in some cases, if you had to just do one or the other, you had to stop, wait, move something to it or move something off of it. With this connector, he wanted to make it so it could do both at the same time. He also wanted it to be able to pull power from the master, and that would allow it to power the device. So you didn't have to have an external power source. Um, another big thing was hot pluggable or hot swappable, and that is you could plug in this device or unplug it without the computer needing to be turned off. And that's just really unimaginable for some of us because um, we're so blessed. And he wanted plug and play, and this was a big one. He wanted the ability 
to be able to just, you plug it in and it works. You don't plug it in, oh, where's the CD? I gotta get the CD to install the, the software, the drivers. You just plug it in and it works. And to do that, he was going to have to get a lot of other companies and businesses that create devices to put those drivers into their products. And they actually started creating drivers, certain drivers for certain kinds of devices so that once you got the device, it already had the driver known by the machine that you were connecting it to, and it was plug and play. So all of these things he's looking at, again, so that it can actually be adopted and accepted in the industry. Now, they started putting it out, and they, they called it um, the Universal Serial Bus, or USB. And again, it's very familiar to us. Well, it wasn't adopted incredibly quickly at first, um, there was a large competitor. Somebody that was not at that meeting was Apple. They had their own cool stuff because everything Apple does is cool. That's what they told me. <laughs> and they called it FireWire. That's pretty cool, FireWire. I'll get some FireWire. They had FireWire and it was their solution. And it was really fast compared to you know, a lot of the systems out there, but it didn't really explode. There weren't a lot of other business, there were some catches. For example, you did have to pay a nice little fee for licensing with Apple, surprise, surprise, and some other things. And so it, it didn't really spread. It was used on Apple things. They could decide to put it in their own products. And so the USB standard started to get more adopted, more adopted. And ironically, the big break came when the first real big computer implementation took place when Apple released the first iMac and there were two USB ports on the back. Um, there's also FireWire back there, but they used the USB ports with their new mouse. And they had, at the end of the mouse, there was a USB port. And so this would begin what would become the USB era of devices, where all these different devices shared that one kind of port. So you didn't need all of these different big ports on the back of your computer. You just needed this one. And it could do all sorts of things. And of course, it would they would make it better and better and better. It was pretty slow at first, and eventually they would get it very fast. The original one, they could do five megabits of data a second, and that's not very fast. I mean, if it was fast for its time. But uh, today, we can do speeds of over 40,000 megabits per second, which is pretty incredible, and it's just going up and up. So remember, if you want to do a breakthrough, if you want it to get out there, you got to have a plan, okay? And then you got to make people know why it's important and get the world to adopt it somehow, some way. Thank you. All right. And now, introducing Roger Billings. kind of what? night, just a normal, normal night. What do you mean? Well, just like Anfasia. <laughs> what did you expect? Some kind of... What's that? Mic is muted. Your mic's muted? Yeah. Mine is? I think maybe the Well, come fix it. Now how are we looking? So we muted the mic because my... Am I muted? It's that kind of night. <laughs> That's what I was saying. Would the unmuting person please come forward? Mm -hmm. Ta-da! That's because the intro... Now are you happy? It's because of the intro? <laughs> yeah. What was wrong with the intro? I was there. To... <laughs> I was waving. <laughs> what did you want? I wanted more. More? Well, usually it's a little bit of more. I guess. I'm starting to get so the, the lyrics for a song. <laughs> more. <laughs> now we know how that really came about. So what What more do you want? Well, usually there's a little more pizzazz. Oh, you, you're talking about your people and how... Yeah, oh, okay. that's why the mic was Not muted, Not a problem. Not a problem. <laughs> okay, could we please go back and redo the entrance video with more? Thank <laughs> you.
that's so more. how's that? Is that more? <laughs> Is your mic on? What? Yeah, it I can't hear you. It works. Okay. See, it, that's what happened. You did that to get my mic on. <laughs> sure. So it's an exciting time when it comes to the new mini STEM class. It is. Because yes. a lot of people are doing it. You know, last time we talked about there's a new mini STEM class. See if you can get somebody to put you in it. Mm -hmm. And then the next day people logged in and there it was. There it was. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I said, let's give it to everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're grateful for it. Because well, it's interesting. A lot of people have been doing it. And in fact, yeah. we have 200, well, a bunch, hundreds of kids have already finished it, uh -huh. which is really amazing. Did you know that uh, we showed them a robot that had been redesigned? Can, can you show your nice robot again? It's so fun to get to see it. And, and what did you call it again? Fufu. That is its name. Yeah, that's quite a thing. And we saw it dance, and uh -huh. so now they're all learning how to do it. Well, I just want you to know that I've been thinking a lot about your robot, and uh, <laughs> I, came up, like I came up with a counterpart. Oh, yeah? Would you like to see it? I would love to see it. <laughs> this is, okay. wasn't expecting this at all. This is oh. the counterpart. <laughs> Check it out. Mm -hmm. what, what is its name? Fruit Loops. <laughs> Look how well they go together. So I wow, was figuring your robot dances. If I could teach my robot a dance, then they could do a little. That would be so fun. That would be fun. Yeah, that would be so but, fun. Uh, here's, wow. here's the thing we found out from the course, though. First of all, we found out that coding really can be fun and exciting. Mm -hmm. And we found out that a lot of people seem to have a lot of time this week because they sure whipped through it. Yeah. And a lot that probably weren't going to take the STEM courses are now taking them. Yes, we found Because that. they can say, yeah. whoa, STEM is really neat, and that's wonderful. We are going to give students a half a credit for taking this mini wow. STEM course, which is really good news. But at the end of the STEM course, we ran into a little hitch. And the little hitch is this. The pre-programmed dance steps mm -hmm. are learned, and you can create a dance using those, and then you can play it with a little robot on your screen. But in the very end of the course, we get into the advanced dance steps where you invent them That's yourself. Right. Uh -huh. And now, because your moves are so ingenious and unpredicted, the emulator can't play them. So it actually... See your dance? Mm -hmm. You need a real robot. You do. <laughs> and that created a firestorm of cells of robots in our little store. A lot of people ordered robots, and uh, that's exciting. I want them to have robots. But uh, <clears throat> we didn't have any discount mechanisms set up. You must be psychic because they're asking. And a lot of people... Paid full price, yeah. and full price pretty expensive on these limited-run programmable robots, and, and I don't think that's acceptable. You don't, do no, you? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> so I have done something kind of outlandish. I may get fired <laughs> again, but <clears throat> what I've done is I've said, could you please, Mr. David, go through, and all the people that have ordered a robot since the first year, which is pretty much all the robots we've sold, could you please give them a little discount? Oh. And he said, sure. And so he's going to do a discount back to their accounts. So that, that'll be good news for all of the people that ordered robots. Sorry we didn't catch it before. Now it's set up so that anybody that orders a robot will be able to get half price. And we also did that on the gold books too. We made there was a thirty percent discount, but it's twin, it's time for half price. So we got half price. Does that impress you? That impresses me. So if they go to the Asala store, then they can find. You know, I was thinking about it, uh -huh. and I realized it didn't impress me. It didn't impress you. It didn't impress me. I mean, can I it, take back my impressive? 
Feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I'm a girl. Where are you going to take them back to? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess you can. I took them back. But I think it's just really wonderful that we can do a half price thing for our students. But the deal is, it's still a lot of money. And I figured out how many students would be able to have them if we did half price. And I decided not as many as I would like because the ones that are doing these are having a lot of fun. And having this actual object that you can code and then see the results of your code, I don't know, it does something to you. Mm -hmm. Coding is important it for is. all of us. We need to learn how to, did you know that I have a little video of some of the students that have been coding these robots? Would oh, you like to can see, we see it? it? Yeah, it's, yeah. Just, it's just for fun. Okay, can we roll it? enjoyment yes. that people are having. Yeah. I thought, mm -hmm. I, I, I want a lot of these little robots to go out there. And I'm afraid that if we really put out as many as I want, we wouldn't have enough. And so I put in a big order to get a bunch more made too. Oh, wow. Yeah. But uh, instead of half, which is still pretty pricey, I thought maybe we could do just a little bit more. So I had a negotiating meeting with Mr. David. Mr. David. Mr. David. And I asked him an important question. He says, David, if we had a really good discount, what would we call it? Oh. And I'm say? not even going to tell you what he said. Because <laughs> that would date our thing. Yeah. Because oh, okay. yeah, he, he said, how about we call it the 2021 discount? I said, no. no it's got to be big. It's got to be a... But by the end of the negotiation... He, he was worn down, <laughs> kind of like you were when you finally accepted the intro. <laughs> I know. And so here's, here's seriously what we're going to do for the first time we've ever tried this, because I think this is important. I think a lot of students are, are going to want to do this, and we're definitely wanting to make our science fair become a STEM fair. You know, STEM stands for science, technology, mm -hmm. engineering, and math, right? Right. And that is science. Mm -hmm. And so instead of just having a plain old science where we're going to have a STEM fair, and coding can be entered. If you create a custom program for your little robot, it can be entered as part of the science fair. So should we just tell them? There is a code that you need to know. You need to memorize this if you want to be part of it. So you go in there and you get your robot, and then you put in the code of... Live. Live, you know, L-I-V-E. Or if you want to spell it the way Dr. Peget does, L exclamation point V-E. Live. Yeah. But with that code, you get a 90% discount. Wow, wow. okay. That's and a 90% discount is a really good one. And I'm hoping that that will make it possible for anybody that wants to one of these robots to get it. There's a lot of thank yous. I and I also expect we'll run out pretty soon, but we'll have more coming. So if we do run out, uh, we had a pretty good stock a week ago. <laughs> We've had a run on, but we can, we can make a lot of robots. And if you're going to spend the time creating these custom dance steps, don't you want to be able to see them oh, and act it? And the, the thing that just thrills me is if you could make this robot do these dances, well, then that's like a major achievement. That's like I got Dr. Peget to do a dance step. With my robot? 
or life. <laughs> you didn't get me to do that. I'm not going anywhere near this. <laughs> can I try something? Yes, you can try it. <laughs> That's discrimination. Well, it's giving me ideas, so I'm realizing on some of those steps, you can really get going. Up oh, yeah. There. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just want to see. Did you see the mustache? Oh, I didn't see that. It's electrical. <laughs> yeah. Is it licorice? It looks like black licorice. <laughs> Yum. <laughs> oh, and red twizzlers. <laughs> Sorry. She missed dinner tonight. <laughs> in her mind a lot. Okay, good. All right, so. You can call it twizzlers. When you master the ability to control a microcontroller like this mm -hmm. and make it do the things you want, you're opening the horizons to just all kinds of things that you can do. And um, it takes a real techie kind of a brain to know how to do this technical stuff. And, and the thing a lot of people don't realize is we all have techie brains. We just <laughs> we need do. to train them. We need to condition them. But there's another side to this that I think is really interesting. It's the thing that I, I blame for one of the reasons why America has been so successful and is great. And that is American brains seem to have a special ability of coming up with real neat things to make the robots do. John was talking about, you know, when he got his 3D printer, what shall I print? What shall I print? Mm -hmm. uh, what shall I do with a robot? And it turns out that it takes a certain type of very clever creativity to figure out what to have them do. And some of the biggest inventions that are going to change our world in the next few years are going to be inventions of what to have these new devices do. Because of microcontrollers and microprocessors and encoding, we're going to be able to have things do things that we've never been able to do before. And the only thing stopping us is figuring out what we want them to do. So do you have an idea? Now, last time we showed the video mm -hmm. of the robots, the big robots dancing. Yes. And I, I shared with you that some people criticized this company, Boston Dynamics, mm -hmm. for pretending they had robots dancing when it was just, you know, Computer. an artist's rendering. Yeah. And it wasn't. It was real robots. And... It's neat what artists can do, but can you imagine doing that with real physical devices with these full-size robots? Well, we need some really good ideas. And I think when you learn how to code and you start seeing how this works and the possibilities, then you'll start coming up with ideas of what we could do with robots. And a robot really is a device that does something we want it to on command. And we are completely unlimited in how many dance steps we can make this thing do. Just think of all of the things we can make robots do if we could just get the idea. How do you get the brain to come up with an idea? That's what I do. Is that how you do that? It's the shake and move approach. I'm pretty sure that's how Tobias came up with his wave invention. <laughs> the shaky brain. But um, it, it is really fascinating that a lot of good research is done in mental laboratories. Now, a physical laboratory is brick and mortar and test tubes and workbenches, and they build those, and a lot of great things come out of them. But the mental laboratory is one you build inside your brain. And I love the idea of being able to conduct an experiment through simulation by your brain. The human brain is absolutely, incredibly amazing. And uh, computers can be programmed to do all sorts of things, but we still are not even close to being able to get a computer to really come up with this original thinking. And yet each one of us have that capability. And it's interesting that if you want to get a result with the human brain, mental laboratory, creativity, you have to focus it on a, on a problem, on a mission, on a goal. So what if I were to give you the challenge today, what can you think of 
that you could have a robot do that would change the world. And it's, it's really kind of fascinating. Now, uh, there's a MIT project where they made a robot kind of like the little dog we showed last time, uh -huh. the dancing dog. I call it a dog. I don't think they call it that. It's but it's, it's They call it Spot, yeah. Four-legged creature, mm -hmm. and for his head, it's a little jaw. Mm -hmm. And he can actually go get things and move them around and programming to do a lot of things. Well, they programmed another one that kind of looks like that, four legs, but they call it the cheetah. Mm -hmm. The cheetah is an amazing animal. Uh, according to my best memory of elementary school, it's the fastest animal on earth. It can really, really, really run fast. And these little cheetahs are able to do complete backflips. You're a little four-legged creature and it just flips over. It jumps up and flips over. And they actually, in, in one of the videos they have on, on the internet, they have a whole line of them lined up and they all jump over together. And you say, wow, that's what we've always needed. <laughs> and it's wow. interesting because the building they're standing in front of when they jump over is the same building that I took my little course at MIT a couple years ago. So that was fun, drinking from the fire hose, as they say. <laughs> so what can a robot do? And if I knew the answer to that, I wouldn't bother to ask you to figure it out. But it turns out that these ideas evolve and quite often when you see a robot do something, it stimulates or triggers an idea in your mind for the next thing. Someone sees that, then it's the next thing. Yep. Lots of times ideas evolve, inspired and motivated. One of the great, great scientists from the United Kingdom generations ago was a guy that said, if I have seen farther than others, it's because I stood on the shoulders of giants. It was Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah. And he advanced science in many ways. He invented calculus and the laws of motion. It was really amazing, the contributions that he made. But I think we want to stimulate people to do things. Now, if you were to come up with a really, really unique idea, could it someday change the world? Could it make a difference? When I was a student, I came up with the idea of running a car on hydrogen. And that's kind of like what I'm asking you to do. It was an idea. There weren't a lot of cars running around on hydrogen. In fact, uh, best we've ever been able to tell, there hadn't been any. And I've studied it. I tried to see if anybody else had this idea before me, because I'd like to know. There's a guy named Rudolf Aaron, a German, that had talked about running some diesel engines on hydrogen to power the air blimps that were full of hydrogen. But he didn't succeed in ever being able to do it. But he had an idea, because he had a big tank of hydrogen, he could use it to power the blowers to propel these ships. I, and, and by the way, later I met Rudy. Mm -hmm. uh, but he never was able to do that. So as far as, as I've been able to learn, I'm the first person that actually made an engine run on hydrogen, a car, a Model A Ford run on hydrogen. And, you know, it was 50 years ago. And now a lot of people are starting to do it. There's a big green hydrogen movement, and it's getting to be a big thing. Uh, I might recommend that if you're going to come up with a real good idea, maybe it'd be better if you get an idea we're going to use soon instead of something that will only be available in 50 years. <laughs> but, you know, if I can operate about 50 years ahead of reality, that wouldn't be bad, would it? Uh, I really think that there are wonderful ideas that uh, need to come forward. And this thing I said about Americans, uh, I go back to it. I really believe it. I see a lot of wonderful countries around the world and some have wonderful education systems and they teach a lot of math and science and they put down a lot of graduates. A lot of them come to our universities for advanced training and they learn how to program and do the things that, that we've done and then they go home and they build factories and ship products. But then it seems like it's quite often some clever Americans that come up with a crazy new idea of something that ought to happen. And lo and behold, now everybody has to shift gears because there's a better idea. What would you 
have a computer do for you? What would you have a robot do for you? A robot is when a computer gets legs and it gets arms and it gets power to move things. And with that capability, it's like we're entering into a whole new dimension or a whole new domain. If you want to understand what they can do, then learn some coding. That's important. If you want to really be good at it, learn more coding, learn some math, learn programming, get into some of the programming courses. All of this knowledge that you gather will empower you. But at the end of the day, it is your spark of genius, your creativity that gives you the power to really be able to make a difference. And somebody, and I'm sure it's not going to be just one, but somebody is going to come up with an idea that is going to change everything. And they're going to be very, very successful for that idea. Uh, when I was uh, mentoring with Bill Lear, you know, Mr. Learjet, Bill Lear, and he, he would tell me these stories, and I, I could never get enough of them because I found his stories to be very inspirational. And as I heard about how his ideas started, and he was thinking about it, and he figured out this and that, and then he did something, it inspired me to make the same effort, and I've been very fortunate to see a lot of my ideas become reality. Well, he was telling me that when he decided to build a Learjet, he wanted to have a player to play music in the Learjet. And in that time period, you could play music with a cassette tape. Now, somebody said, what is a cassette tape? And they said, it's something out of the dark ages. But it was a cassette that had a reel of tape you could stick into a player, and when you got the end of the tape, you'd pull out and turn over and play the other side. And Bill Lear said, I didn't think it was a good idea for the pilot to have to turn over the cassette while they're trying to fly the airplane. So I wanted to come up with a cassette that would never get to the end. Now, that sounds impossible, sounds crazy. A cassette never gets to the end, what is that, infinity? And he said, no. And so Bill Lear invented the eight-track stereo player. And if you don't know what an eight-track is, then maybe you were born in the last century or so, but it's, it's really a neat technology. When you record music on a recording tape, you actually run it by a magnet and cause some of the little powder, the oxide coating, on the tape to become magnetized. And by magnetizing it in the right spots when it goes by a head, it makes a voltage which makes sound. And you can put tracks of magnetism on the tape so you can have a left side and a right side for stereo. Or you could even have four tracks. He came up with eight tracks, which was a high density. And the idea was that he would stick his cartridge into the player and it would start turning and it would wind the tape through. But the tape that was going to the head to play the music was being pulled out of the center of the winding. He'd pull it out of the center, run it through, and then wrap it around the outside. And so the tape was an endless loop. You took the end of the tape and taped it together so there wasn't an end. And then it would always pull out the center and wrap around and pull out the center and wrap around. So an 8-track would play and play and play and play and play until it just plain wore out. So it did. It was a clever, clever idea. And you know, you think about it for a minute and you say, wow, it's kind of neat. You don't want to have to turn the tape over, so you make it so it never runs out. You do it by winding around the outside and pulling it out of the center. And he was clever enough to make it work. You know, when I was sitting at my new desk over at my new office, which we need to take a tour they of want to soon. See, they want to see soon. it. Yeah. By the way, it's there and it's neat. But you can see how clever Bill Lear is. But there's another part to the story. Remember the old optimization curve? You start out really optimistic and then you get into all the problems and you get discouraged. And that's where most people go get a job somewhere else and give up. But Bill Lear did and he kept persevering and he solved the problems and went forward. Well, here's what happened with the 8-track stereo. When he put the cartridge in to play the music, the cartridge 
would have to be held in place by some springs so it would hold it in there. And it wouldn't stay lined up perfectly for those tracks to be accurately read. And so the music would sound weak and distorted. And if you wiggle it a little bit, you get it to sound better. And you know, that was a real discouraging problem when he was making it. <clears throat> it won't flip into alignment. Now he could put in, put in screws and bolt it and hold it there, but then you couldn't change it. And he wanted to just be able to jam it in there and have it play perfect. And so that was a problem that almost destroyed the 8-track from ever becoming a reality. And then he got an idea. And he says, Roger, the best ideas are often so simple. What was the idea? And he says, well, it's called the spring and the pin. The spring and the pin. How's it work? And he says, well, I put a post or a pin in on the side. So when you push it in, the spring on the other side would push it against the pin. Since the pin wouldn't move, it held it exactly where I needed it. So I'd stick it in, the spring, push it over tight, and then it played good, clear music. And he said, I patented it. Bill Lear has so many patents. He, he comes in almost second, at least he was second for a long time, to his mentor, Thomas Edison, on the number of patents. He patented this idea of having a post and a spring. So when he stuck the cartridge in, it pushed the cartridge against the spring. And then people said, well, we're not going to pay you royalties for your patent. And so he took him to court. And he won multi-million dollar judgments on an idea of having a post in the spring. <laughs> and I, I might add, I was caused to remember what he said one day when I was working on my early first computer. We had a floppy disk drive. And some of you may not remember those, but it's a flat uh, little package that has a disk in the middle that's made of magnetic material. You stick it into a disk drive, close the door, and you can then load the programs off it. Well, we had one, and yet you could only get the data off one side. You need all the data you get so you'd open up, turn over, and you'd read the other side. Well, I wanted to make a disk drive that could read both sides, so it would double the data. And so we tried putting a recording reading head on the bottom, which everybody had, and another one on top. We bound them on top, so you close the lid, the heads come down, and it was working, it was working, and then we came back on another day when it was a little more humid, because the weather had changed, there was more moisture in the air, and it caused the mylar, the plastic that the disc was made out of, to expand. And when it expanded, it got tight in there, and it scraped off all of the coating so all the data was gone. Goodness. I said, I've got a great invention. You put it in here, it reads both sides at once for a few days, and then you <laughs> lose all your data. <laughs> well, we tried a lot of things. I had some engineers trying a lot of things, trying to solve that problem, and we were not having luck. And then I remember Bill Lear. When he had his problem, he just put a post there. If you imagine this being like a post, Oh, it's time it to turn it on. Okay, <laughs> like a post, and then when he put, can, can you hold the cartridge for me? Imagine this is the cartridge with music. You put it in here, you be the spring, push against it. So it holds it right up snug and tight. And I thought of that, and I said, could that solve my problem with this floppy disk drive? And my head did that thing that intelligence can do, did one of those. And instead of coming out with Tobias's wave, which I would have done if I'd known it was ever going to catch on, <laughs> instead of coming out with that, I came out with a real simple idea. I had a head on the bottom, head on top. When I closed the lid, it clamped down tight to read the data. I put a spring on the top head so that it could go up and down, and the spring would push it with a certain amount of tension. So when the mylar expanded and it pushed up, the head just rose. And you have to have it tight and snug or you don't read the data properly. So to keep it snug, but it would go up and down with the mylar. That simple little 
five cent spring made them work. And soon floppy disk drives were in all of the computers. And I started a company to build those, CalDisk. My company was located in Anaheim, California, and we made a lot of money making floppy disk drives because of that simple idea. So an idea at the right time changes the world, and I am looking for ideas. These little robots, uh, Snowflake and... Snowflake. Fru-fru. <laughs> yeah, Fruit Loop and, <laughs> and Snowflake are here for the purpose of making us smile, making us have a good time, but mostly they're here to teach us not just how to code, but teach us we can code. We have that capability. And to inspire and trigger our creativity to find out what robots are going to do for us. How are they going to make the world a better place? And believe me, they're going to. And there can be some wonderful ideas. And I, uh, I'd really like our CELA students to be some of the people to do it. You know, we have a lot of students on the CELUS now. Yeah. A lot of our CELUS graduates are getting very nice college uh, scholarships, which thrills me. And they should, because they're finding out that kids that have gone through these uh, courses and worked hard are very capable to go into college now. But they're also very capable for these wonderful invention. To me, invention is kind of a neat word. It means you've come up with a new idea. And I think that is the thing that really uh, distinguishes mankind, man and womankind, from all of the other living creatures on the earth. I mean, all the creatures are beautiful. I really, really believe that. But it's, it's the humans that have this ability to really come up with creative ideas like this and then to make them happen. So I hope you'll remember the magic word when you're ordering your, your robot. Magic word is live. Well, they got it because our site went, is that right? went down to the bottom of the optimism curve and now it's back up. Okay. Well, I just will say that uh, I chose that word because a lot of the messages that uh, Peugeot's getting and, and that we're seeing, they talk about our little Wednesday night program, not as Science Live, which is what we named it, but they just call it. Uh, tonight I was watching live and I saw, watching live? Yeah. yeah, it's live with an impact. Live, yeah, yeah. okay. So uh, I hope this will be a very positive thing and we'll gain a lot of things from it. For those of you that can't get a robot right away, please understand that all of the learning can take place without it. The program can run, you can create it, you can figure out a real neat thing, and lo and behold, uh, uh, we'll, we'll figure out a way for you to be able to try out your code. But you can really do the programming, and you can come up with these ideas, you can understand coding, and you can extrapolate on how to do a lot of the things. Uh, I was raised in a situation where uh, my family didn't have a lot of resource when I was growing up. And um, there were a lot of things at the time I thought would have been nice to have, like a new bicycle and like a lot of other things. I, new bicycles are, well, they're new. You know? <laughs> yeah. But as I look back and I realize that sometimes going without is really good for us. But don't feel like if you don't have the new bicycle or you don't have the robot yet, don't feel like you can't do it. You can. And just remember, if you're the one that comes up with these ideas I'm talking about, you're going to have more robots and you know what to do. That's true. So let's do it, right? Mm -hmm. I'd like to now turn a few minutes over to Dr. Page for whatever she wants to say. There have been a lot of... Um comments coming in thanking you for the um, special code to put in there. The special code. You. you know what? Thank you. I just wish I could send everybody robots. Yeah. I try to figure out how to do There's that. A great but um, 
I, I'm also trying to figure out how we can uh, um, find ways to make our courses better, but also make it, you know, an opportunity so everybody can have them. The, the real joy that I found in my life has been from doing things for other people. And, you know, a lot of people say things like that, but for me, it's not what I say. It's what I really have discovered. It's what I believe. Um, I, I started out my life, like I say, with meager resources. And then when I uh, became um, married and all grown up and found out that I had not married into wealth. <laughs> you found that out? <laughs> but, you didn't know? Yeah, when, oh. when Ty and I were engaged, you know, and we've been courting, and I says, okay, we're engaged, we're going to get married, so let's pull our resources. How much money do you have? <laughs> and she told me she only had $300. Three. Uh, $400, okay. <laughs> there, there's some discrepancy there on exactly how much it was, but it's, it's really interesting that as we started to have success and we started to have a little bit more money to work with, I found that accumulating wealth and things that you can buy with wealth didn't work for me to make me happy. And so we started doing things to help other people. Now, I just barely have time for one last little story and we'll call this after hours, even though it isn't quite. <laughs> Uh, Tanya was raised very frugally in a wonderful family. She knew how to get by with what, what she had. But she decided that we wanted a baby grand piano in our living room. Mm. And a baby grand piano <clears throat> was kind of pricey, especially on a newlywed budget like we had. And so she started saving for the baby grand piano. And we would <clears throat> sometimes skip fancy things on our mill and that and would put a little bit aside and she was getting more and more saved up for the baby grand piano and I thought this is going to take decades <laughs> but we're doing it we're doing it we have a little more there and then one day I came home and she says guess what we have a neighbor that has an opportunity <laughs> to adopt a baby and Unfortunately, this couple have not been able to have a child and they really want one. And they've been given an opportunity, but they need money to pay the legal fees. And I said, oh, I'm sure they'll find it. She says, we have just enough in our grand piano savings. Do you think we should help them? And I said, well, what do you think? She says, I think we should. We can save for the grand piano anytime. And I realized the fact we were saving for that piano made it more valuable than if we could just go out and buy it. And so we did. We did. And uh, the piano fund went almost to zero. And we started, we did eventually get our baby grand, didn't we? But that wonderful company, couple, uh, they weren't close friends. They were friends. In fact, he actually worked for my company. But... Um, they went on and, and raised a wonderful child, and we've kind of lost touch with them over the years. But I derived more happiness from that than I would have from having the grand piano. And from that experience, taught by a wonderful, wonderful woman, I really learned what makes me happy. Now, everybody's different, but I found that the real fulfillment and happiness that comes in life is when you're doing something nice for someone else. And I'd suggest you all try it. Mm -hmm. You must know somebody, your family, and your, in your neighborhood, and your circle of friends, and your relatives. You must know someone that you can experiment being nice to with. And I suggest that's an experiment you want to do. So let's learn to code. Let's learn to be nice. Let's be happy. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.